You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So, um, y'all may not know, but about uh, a year ago, my family and I hiked out at Utah. We hiked four of the five national parks. Now, a lot of y'all didn't know I did active things like that, because, you know, I can, I can appreciate that as my coach no longer button, but I do. And we hiked uh, four of the five, and we hiked from top to bottom all the way back to top. It was some of the most beautiful scenery of God's creation I'd ever seen. The hikes were at times hard, but at all times joyful. And then we got to this particular canyon in Canyonlands. This is called the Aztec Boot. And we were determined this was the last one for us to somewhat conquer, right, to get there to the top. And so we began to hike this particular canyon. And as you can see, it was a pretty, it's a pretty straight, it's not a, it's not a hard hike, really. It's just a, at times a steep hike and kind of hard to figure out where to grip because it's not really rock climbing, even though you're climbing a rock. <laughs> and so we were, we were doing it. Ian, Ian is a, he's, I don't know, he was like born to climb. He is a great climber. He's a great scrambler, rock scrambler. And he was just kind of, we were just kind of doing it. But, but I was leading the way on this one. And, and my thought was, I was going to grab onto that particular bush at some point and fling myself through, um, fling, that, that sounds like super heroic, but like grab myself, pull myself through, and just kind of keep going up. Because at this point, we're only 20 feet from the summit. And it was right there. And there was going to be a steeper climb, a small rock scramble, and then we were going to be at the top. And so I reach for the bush, I pull up, and I go to find my footing, and there's nowhere to find my footing beyond that flat piece. There was nowhere really to keep climbing. And so I paused, I stopped, I turned around, and I thought, I'll just sit here and wait for them to get up and then figure out where to go, and we'll go together. As I sat, I anchored myself behind that bush, and something happened in my nervous system and my brain and my body. I began to feel a sense of panic, and my body just, it just shut down. I was stuck. I couldn't move at all. I could not, I literally could not move my body. And I just sat there. And I thought, well, this is, this is problematic. So I began to, you know, I know what this means because of, so I began to do breathing techniques and some grounding techniques, thinking I could get back, get my body's attention, tell my nervous system and my brain that things aren't as bad as it seems, but it wasn't working. I was stuck. And so Allison came up, and she saw me, and she could tell by the look on my face that things weren't good. She said, are you okay? I said, no, I'm stuck. And she said, wait a minute, I, said, I cannot move. And y'all, I literally could not move. My body was frozen. And she said, what do you want to do? I was like, well, let me see if I can breathe and ground my way out of this, and we'll keep going. A minute or two or three went by. One family went by us. Another family went by us. Thought about tripping one or two of them along the way, but that would have been vengeful. And they just kind of kept going. And so Ian and Allison and I are there, and they're, they're waiting on me. And I leaned into Allison, and I just kind of leaned. I said, I can't. I can't, I can't go up. I'm going to have to go down. And so we had to make our way down. And it was so incredibly defeating. 
And it was defeating not because I'm some like big, oh, I got to talk with a mountain kind of guy, but my son, we were 20 feet from the summit. Ian wanted to reach the summit. I wanted Ian to reach the summit. And the only reason Ian didn't reach the summit is I wouldn't let him because I couldn't go. And I worked my way down. And I decided at that moment that I would never let that happen again, that I would discipline my heart and my mind so that I could discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Because I knew our family likes to hike, and I knew one day we would hike something else. And I was determined to discipline myself so that next time it would happen, I could somehow press through. Well, last week we hiked Old Rag Mountain in Shenandoah National Park. Now, it's about a 3,900, a 3,200 elevation hike. It's about a 9.4 mile, somewhere between six and eight hours. And as you can see, there are bears. Um, and what's, what's a little weird about it is how they talk about the bears. The first nine tips are like, you know, tips, you know, do this, do that. But the last one is the one that kind of made me laugh. If a bear wants to fight, fight back. I'm like, well, that's not going to work very well. Like, that's going to be a short fight. I mean, I take out a toe or something. So my thought was maybe we could just hike with a group of people who were slower than us. And if a bear would come, no, you know what I mean? Like, you know, fast person win, right? Like, I mean, sure we can, you know, I had some bear mace. I thought about maybe spraying them instead of the bear and seeing how that worked out. No, we can talk about it. And go. No, but we went, we went through and we were, we were doing just fine. It was a beautiful, beautiful hike. And it was just life-giving. But there's this part as you get toward the top. Now, what you don't know, maybe, is that Old Rag Mountain is a top 25 hike in the world. Did you know that? It's ranked one top 25 in the world. Um, and it's considered one of the most dangerous hikes in Virginia. Now, I want to be very clear with you. I didn't know that until yesterday. Because <laughs> that might have changed things for me. I'm just saying. But we were, there's this rock scramble, and that's why it's so complicated. Because to get to the summit, you have to go through this incredible rock scramble where you have to like climb from one rock to another every now and then leaping from one rock to another not a big deal doing it Ian is killing it he's actually leading the way because one of the things I decided was he was going to lead when it came to the the fun climbing stuff um, so he was leading the way every now and then he'd have to stop and show his mom and I how to get up, uh, up a, which is good I'm here for it and he did until we got here this is R40. That's what they call it. I call it my arch nemesis. Because what you had to do here was you had to go from this side to that side. Now, it doesn't look so bad until you realize that there's about an 8 to 10 feet drop. And in this case, it's just death. Okay, because it's thin. I'm going to get stuck. I'm going to bounce all the way down. End of story, celebration of serv life service for Fred. That's how it's going to work. Because what you also don't see is that you have to jump from there to there with your feet, but there's a slope. And then there's no place really to place your hands. So when you jump, you have to commit wholly, lean forward, and just grab what you can, plant, and keep going. Every time I tried to do it, I hesitated, which means I couldn't try it. And so there I was again. Standing here, we are almost at the top. 
we have been hiking for six hours. I wouldn't let Ian go this time, not because I was concerned for him, but because he's probably going to make it, not we were going to be stuck. So I was trying to negotiate this. So I decided we were not going downhill. We're not turning around because I was determined. I was disciplining my heart and mind and my body to bring it into subjection to say we were not going to turn around. So I was pacing, and I would try to find another way around it, and there was no way around it. There was only the way through it. You can't go over it, can't go under it, you got to go, right, and that's how, and so I, was, so I was trying to, I was trying to breathe, I was trying to get everything ready, I was trying to genuinely discipline my body with some practices that I knew, and I'm not just making this up, but as I was like, okay, it's, it's go for broke, all of a sudden this dad and his two boys come walking up. And they're fully decked in camo with military backs, all of them chewing tobacco and spitting, including the eight-year-old. You know, like, how are you doing, man? You know, not, not really. But like, and they just, they're just like, oh, it's a cliff. Whoop. And they just keep going. And I'm like, all right. All right, we can do this. So I took a breath and I stood up there. And then I said, hey, dad. I said, yeah. I said, would you mind helping us up? And he took Ian. He took Allison. He took me. That's right. He's a good guy. And we got up. And we moved forward. Now, you could think that, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. I was determined one way or the other to push through this. Because I had been thinking about old rag for weeks, praying and thinking and determining in my body. Because I hate heights. Y'all don't even know that. Like, I hate heights. Those who know me know I hate heights. So this here is a thing. But I was determined to discipline my life. Because when I was at that moment, this is what it looked like. But y'all, in my head, this is what it looked like. <laughs> like, that's real. Like, in my imagination, that's where this whole thing was going to end. <laughs> but we did make it there's Ian and it was a it was a gift of grace but y'all it required a kind of discipline that I didn't even that I didn't even realize and that's the thing without discipline there's no progress and that's true in every aspect of life Without discipline, there's no progress. And if there is progress without discipline, there's no sustainable progress. Discipline isn't a pleasant word. It's, it's not a word that is a considered our favorite word. It's not a word we look forward to. But it is a word that when we come to understand and we embrace and we pursue that maybe it pays off. But at the end of the day, we have this kind of love-hate relationship with discipline. And we know that discipline is necessary if progress is going to be made. If we don't have financial discipline, we're not going to have financial security. If we aren't disciplined in taking care of our bodies, we won't know good health. If we aren't disciplined in our commitments, then we won't know accomplishment. And so we're disciplined in our areas of life, some of us. Some of us are disciplined in how we work and how we conduct work and how we conduct our family and how we organize certain aspects of our life. Some of us are disciplined in exercise. Some of us are disciplined in our diet. And we see people who are disciplined in this one area of life. Maybe they're, they're constantly exercising 
exercising. They have their routine, and we go, oh, they're so disciplined. But just because we're disciplined in one area of life doesn't mean we're disciplined in life. And oftentimes, we can be disciplined in one area of life, which is good, and neglect the kind of discipline necessary for the most important area of our life, which is our faith. I mean, should we be okay with being disciplined in any area of life while lacking discipline in our faith? The word discipline, being such a heavy word and an intimidating and maybe even overwhelming word, I want to I give us a way of thinking about it. Read it with me. Discipline isn't about perfection. It is about purposefulness. And I need you to stay with that definition. Discipline isn't about perfection. It isn't getting it right. Discipline is doing it on purpose. It's purposefulness. And the root word, actually, for discipline is, everybody say it? Disciple, which is what we're called to be, right? We're called to be what? Disciples, go into the world and make what? That is who we're called to be, disciples. And disciples require discipline. The word disciple literally could mean apprentice. Some people say student, but student in our context doesn't catch it because student has this kind of information exchange. An apprentice is someone who takes on the way of life of the one they follow. It's an embodied experience, not just a head experience. And part of the problem with the conversation on discipline is we don't often think about it in a way that is most sustainable. Most of us may, maybe not, so I'll just say some of us, I imagine, think of discipline as like grit, right, and determination. It calls to mindset the sense of duty. And this is all true. But if that's the basis of our understanding of discipline, then whatever it is we're setting out to do, we will not completely accomplish and hold. It may get us to our goal, grit and duty, but it won't necessarily keep us there. Think about the things that you had disciplined yourself to do, Let's say your New Year's resolutions was to work out, and you, you nailed it for like three weeks in January. And like everybody else, week number four came, and then five, and then six. Something has to drive us to the point where we move beyond a have to to a want to. Discipline has become more than an attitude of determination. It has to be a full self commitment upheld by practices and driven by a specific motive and desire it's a willingness discipline to reorganize everything in order to get to where i want to go but discipline also has to deal with the thing inside of me that's making me want to be there in the first place what drives us matters for the follower of Jesus, a disciplined life is organized around the life and teachings of Jesus with a reliance upon the Holy Spirit to sustain it. That we know. But this reliance has to be driven by the assurance. Everybody say assurance. Assurance of God's love and grace which liberates us to let go of perfection and simply take hold of faithfulness. You with me? When our discipline is driven by the assurance 
of God's love and grace, then we no longer have to perform perfectly. We can just pursue a purposeful kind of faithfulness. Here's what I mean. A disciplined life of discipleship releases us from living with something to prove into living for something we know we can never lose. Christian, you don't have anything to prove. And most of the conversations about discipline, especially at like pep rally type stuff, and even when I was a business executive, and we go to these conferences and people talk about discipline, discipline, discipline. And even when, and I know this is going to surprise you, when I used to teach, <laughs> I, I even laughed saying it, but it was true. I did it for like six years. I used to teach, um, <laughs> I used to teach weightlifting. And um, I, I did. I'm not lying. I, I literally used to teach this and and even when I was getting trained stop when I was getting trained they constantly talked about discipline and it was always this idea of proving something proving something proving something proving something but when you live as though you have something to prove you are doing so because you lose you you live as though you have something to lose and when you have something to lose you have something to fear and then you can't be fully who you were designed to be but when you can let go of whatever it is you think you have to prove you will no longer have whatever it is you think you have to lose and as a Christian you have nothing to prove because you can't lose ever because you have God and God has you and so discipline doesn't have to be driven by this performance of perfection it can simply be driven by this belief that this is really the best way to live that this is the way of life that is most purposeful. It's the way of life that makes sense in light of the God who knows me best and loves me most. Here's what, here's what I mean practically. Our priorities get reorganized because we realize that nothing compares to God's presence and the life that God promised. Nothing. And even when we're suffering, even when we are in the midst of it all, we persevere and we press on because we know that God is with us and will lead us through it. And even in the tensions of it all, we cling, even if by our fingernails, to God's promise that we will overcome everybody say overcome that we will because God's promised it God keeps his promises and so we don't shrink back we don't have to retreat because we know God will not abandon us and even when we arrive at a moment with our best of intentions that we're going to leap across the gap and we're going to climb the summit even when our best of intentions are there but we refuse to retreat because we are released not going to shrink back and retreat who knows God may send someone to help us and if we don't have anything to prove, we won't resist asking for help. But if we have something to prove, like a dad trying to be some kind of cultural man for his boy who won't ask another man for a hand, well, then guess where we'll be? Stuck. But if we can let go of this notion that discipline requires perfection of performance, then we can be liberated. We can be liberated and we can overcome because we're driven by an assurance of God's love and presence. And I think this is what Paul is talking about when he's talking about faith. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 9. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself might 
am not under the law to win those under the law. You know what that takes? Discipline. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that I might by every possible means save some. Paul's living his life with purposefulness, so much so that it requires a kind of discipline that allows him to be for someone that they need him to be. And I got to tell you, if Paul had something to prove, he'd have never done this because that brother caught a lot of slack for doing this. If you read your Bibles, Paul caught all kinds of grief for this. But in the words of my grandmama, it made him know never mind because he was disciplined to pursue this life of faith. Look at what he says. Now, I do all of this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. So now, that's not all. The next verse is where I want to go. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way, read it with me, to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes, read it with me, <coughs> exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown. But we, an imperishable crown. Man, we seek discipline in our lives in places that matter, but guess what? It's all going to perish. This body, it'll perish. That job, it'll perish. Those finances, it'll perish. Your family vacations, they'll perish. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, let's read it together. I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not become disqualified. Paul's discipline is driven by the assurance and hope the gospel brings. He knows where he is headed and that God's grace and faithful love is the only thing that's going to get him there. And so he chooses, everybody say chooses. He chooses to live his life with nothing to prove because of what he can never lose. And this gives him a deep sense of purpose that draws him in to a disciplined life. But here's the thing that Paul knows that we sometimes forget. Discipline is about delayed gratification. Everybody say delayed gratification. It's about doing what you need to do now so that you can have what you want later. You with me? But we live in a society of instant gratification where we get everything we want now. Remember back in the day when you got into an argument with your friends about what a word was or what a word meant or if a thing was a word and you had to look it up in these old things called mm, dictionaries? Like you couldn't be like, hey, Google it. You had to be like, anybody got a dictionary? We live in a society of instant gratification. And that pushes us away from a need in our imaginations. And sometimes even functionally, a need for discipline. Discipline does require a commitment to delay gratification. What Paul knew 
is that what he was living for will always be greater than the circumstance he's living in. Come on now. He knew it, no matter where he was. No matter what was still to come, Paul always knew that what he was living for would always be greater than whatever circumstance he's living in. If we're living for the wrong thing, our circumstance will overwhelm us. Because we'll be wanting what we want, what we want right now. Paul knew what he already had. He knew what was to come. And that was always going to be greater than whatever circumstance he found himself in. And so he could beat his body in his words. And this objection. This is, what I appreciate about this text is that it's, it's, it's Paul talking about the personal side of faith. It's, it's like catching a glimpse into Paul's own life. And in WCC, we talk a lot about the communal side of faith because we live in a society that seduces us to a concern with the individual that's almost an over-concern where me and my become like our society's favorite words. But I, but I want to follow Paul into this a little bit as we kind of start wrapping this up, into this like personal side of faith because there is a personal side of faith because there's a personal accountability to the God who knows us best and loves us most. When no one else sees us, our Heavenly Father does. When no one else knows what we're thinking or wanting, our Father in Heaven does. There is a personal accountability that we all do have with the Lord who is Jesus. And so when I think about the personal side of faith, it always does lead me to ask two questions. And I wanted to ask you these questions today. Question number one, is Jesus really Lord of my life? Or is Jesus someone I claim as a part of my Christian identity? And think about it, we live in a society where, where, where everybody claims to be a Christian. We live in it, we, we know people, we've been that people, I've been that people. Who, while I was just drunk and stoned and hungover, would have still said, while drunk and stoned and hungover, that I was a Christian. Night after night after night after night after night, by the way. That I could have been thieving and stealing, which I did all that, and I would have still told you I was a Christian. The question is, is Jesus really Lord of my life, or is Jesus someone I claim as a part of my Christian identity because it's what I'm supposed to claim? Which leads to the second question, do I believe him as Lord or do I just believe in him as Lord? You see, there's a difference there too. Anybody can believe in Jesus, but not everybody believes him. Like, do I really believe that what Jesus says is true about life is actually possible and is actually true? How we answer this question determines what kind of disciple we become. And one answer requires discipline, and the other answer doesn't. Claiming Jesus as Lord because it's a part of my Christian identity of believing in him can be an exercise of my mind, living primarily from my head, a bumper sticker t-shirt kind of faith that doesn't really require much discipline at all. But holding on to Jesus as Lord by living like it and believing what he says is true about all of life, well, that's an exercise of the whole self and requires discipline. Beloved, we are summoned to a life of discipleship and that means to learn how to do as Jesus taught and live as Jesus lived and we will spend our lives learning what this means and so discipleship requires discipline but let's remember discipline isn't about perfection it's about what purposefulness so say it with me discipline isn't about perfection but about purposefulness 
We are disciplined to live this life because of what we already have been given. And God has given us everything to live the life God has called us to. What God has called us to, God will see us through, and God will keep God's promises. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to offer three descriptions of faith. Now, these are going to be lengthy descriptions. I'm going to have, you, ha you all are about to have access to these descriptions in just a few moments. But I wanted to give you three descriptions of how I think this works out. I call it discipleship of three ideas. Discipleship without discipline creates, say it with me, fickle faith. Discipline without discipleship creates, say it with me, fundamentalist faith. And discipline in discipleship creates, say it with me, faithful faith. Now, I'm being play on words there. You could just say faithfulness, but I wanted it to kind of have a rhythm. So that was my own little thing. So there's a fickle faith, a fundamentalist faith, and a faithfulness. Here's what I think a fickle faith is. A fickle faith is a faith that is sincere and genuine but it lacks discipline. It's a faith that comes and goes. Like a rudderless boat, my faith is tossed around by the waves of life. It's a faith that panics when times get hard. It's a faith that is prone to reactionary and uncalculated decisions that lack self-awareness and wisdom. Life has to be going my way, and when it isn't, all that God has done in my own past is forgotten in my present. And this is a faith that cannot get out of its own way and causes me to stumble because it needs near-perfect circumstances to function fully. It's a faith that believes if God isn't felt, then something is wrong with me or with God. And it's a faith where peace and joy are possible, but usually only when the circumstances of life are manageable. And most often... It's a faith motivated by God's blessings. It lives for what God does for me. It bends toward discipleship, but lacks discipline. That's what I'm calling a fickle faith. Then there's a fundamentalist faith. Everybody say fundamentalist faith. Fundamentalist faith is a narrow-minded, rules-based faith. It wants to please the Lord by leaning into a disciplined mind but not a disciplined heart. There's little room for tension, despite how complex life and humanity can be. Everything is black and white, this or that, either or. And this is a faith that bends so far in the direction of being certain and right that it has no room to bend in the direction of grace and mercy. Right morality is so important that there's little room for compassion with those who do not live up to what I believe to be God's standards. It's the kind of faith that doesn't know what to do with Jesus' teaching when Jesus quoted the Hebrew Scriptures and said, go and learn what the Scriptures mean when they say, instead of offering sacrifices to me, I want you to be merciful to others because I didn't come to invite good people to be my followers. I came to invite sinners. This fundamentalist faith leaves little room for stumbling, works hard toward perfection, and is hard toward itself and others. It's a faith where peace and joy may not be possible because life and faith isn't always that manageable. And most often, it's a faith that's motivated by fear of God's judgment and lives for what I do for God. It bends toward discipline but lacks discipleship.
All right, and I know this is a lot, but you're going to have all these descriptions. And if you come to Theology Thursday, you can work this out. Then there's faithfulness. Nope. Faithfulness is a faith that does a different kind of work with a different kind of motive. It's motivated by the assurance of God's love and a disciplined commitment to learn what it means to be loved by God and what it means to love God and to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit rather than the power of my performance. Therefore, this faithfulness kind of faith, it doesn't aim to please God with a perfect performance. It doesn't. It aims instead to know more of who God is as the Lord of love who is present because it's a faith that understands that that above all things is actually what pleases God. It's to know God. It's a faith that counts the cost but believes it's worth it because of who Jesus is as the Lord of love. It's a faith that learns to live within the tensions of life and does the work in the company of Christian community to discern which tensions we have to resolve and which ones we have to hold. It is a faith that is unafraid to doubt and lament and is bold enough to praise and celebrate and never does either alone. It's a faith that will stumble and fall, but when it does, gets back up again, committed to greater faithfulness because it rests in God's faithful love and trust in God's mercy and grace. And it is a faith where peace and joy remain possible because it trusts that even peace and joy are gifts of grace as fruit of the Holy Spirit living within us. And most often it's a faith motivated by God's love and lives for who God is. It bends toward discipline because of discipleship. Discipleship without discipline creates fickle faith. Discipline without discipleship creates fundamentalist faith. But discipleship, this discipline in discipleship creates faithfulness. And this makes sense to me because Jesus said things like this in Luke 9. No one who puts a hand on the plow and looks back, what? Is fit for God's kingdom. Like, that's heavy. Jesus talked about discipleship in terms of a builder building without a plan in mind or a, or a king going to war without a strategy in mind. Paul says things like this, Therefore, my beloved, just as you always obey me, not just when I'm present, but now even more in my, uh, while I'm away, everybody read it with me, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is the one who enables you both to want and to actually live out his good purposes. Now, the key words, in my opinion, are the words work out. It says work out, not work for. You with me? You're not working for your salvation because to work for something is to work for something you don't have. You already have salvation. Paul is just saying, now work it out. Are you with me? If I gave you $20, are you $20 richer? Are you? Yeah. And you put it in your pocket. Are you $20 richer? Yeah. You have $20. Now, are you experiencing the benefit of that $20? No. When do you experience the benefit of that $20? When you buy me something. When you use it. You have salvation. You have liberation. You have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. You have that. Now, Work out what you have. 
And here's the best news to me. The best news of this verse is verse 13. For it's God who is in you doing what? Enabling you to even want to do it. Like God is so gracious and good that God's even going to give you the desire to be the person God wants you to be. So God isn't just going to give you the power to become it. God's going to prompt you, convict you, bring people in here to give you even the desire to be it. That's how good and gracious God is. And what God wants to call you to, God's going to see you through. God's not going to fail. What God is asking of us is to live a disciplined life. And Paul knows that God will never call us to a way of life. He won't give us the power. That's why Paul writes this about the fruit of the Spirit. That the fruit of the Spirit, what's the last one? Is what? Self, which is another way of saying discipline. So, here's what I want to do. If you have your phones, I don't know why Genesis is there. That's me not deleting the slide from last week. All right, if you have your phones, go ahead and scan this QR code. We're not going to do this every week. I know it feels like we're scanning QR codes now every week. Um, when you scan this QR code, it's going to take you to our church center homepage. You don't even have to be registered to the homepage. We're just going to take you to the homepage. And on the homepage are going to be all the notes that I just gave. But most importantly, there are going to be resources to the, to the practices that I want to offer. I want to give us four quick ways that we can start moving toward a disciplined life if we don't already have some in our hearts. Four quick ways. One, commit to spiritual disciplines that make sense, that make the most sense to you. So like if, if procrastination or if, um, if, 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 if wanting too much, if self-indulgence is really a struggle for you that, that presses against your ability to be disciplined, then maybe find ways and rhythms of fasting as a way of bringing your body into subjection. Spiritual disciplines are like vehicles. They're means of grace. They're not the end in them themselves. They're like vehicles. And wherever you are, and wherever you want to go, that's what determines the vehicle. Maybe it's a bike. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a boat. Maybe it's a truck. That's what the spiritual discipline is. There's resources for you to choose a variety of these disciplines. But we also in this church, we've created a booklet of spiritual disciplines that you can access through the YouVersion app or through this other app, the link there. So if you don't have it, send me an email and we'll get it to you. But find spiritual disciplines to move you through it. Maybe prayer. Maybe you need to, to deepen your prayer life. And so maybe you decide instead of listening to the radio to and from work that you just spend that time in prayer. Or maybe you decide you're going to set your alarm at 10. I mean, I used to do this 10, 12, 2, and 4, and you're just going to pray a breath prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. I am yours. You are mine. Whatever it is, just to continue those rhythms in your life where the Holy Spirit will move you from the inside out. Two, develop a discipline practice of staying in the scriptures and y'all hear me out i'm talking about something more than devotionals i'm talking about something that like like sister she has this great writing scripture like follow her on facebook like she she shares the writing of scripture take time to write scripture out or read the full story of scripture find ways to access it I, we have resources here know the whole story not just piece together devotionals we have resources for that three this is an obvious one. Get active in the ministry of God's kingdom. A lot of times we don't have the time to do it. Well, guess what? That's when we know we need to push toward discipline. We need to push toward disciplining our lives. Is when we don't have the time. So what needs to be reorganized? Which then leads to the last one. Discern what to say yes, when to say yes, and why you're saying it. 
and when to say no and why you're saying it. Does that make sense? Because if you say yes to one thing, you are saying no to another because you can't do all things. So discern what you're saying yes to and why you're saying it and discern what you're saying no to and why you're saying it. Hear me out. Please hear me out on this and then we're going to come to the table. Always say yes to the things that are going to challenge and deepen and stretch your faith, period. Make a commitment that if this is going to require me to lean more into God, I'm going to say yes. If it's $1 more, if it's one hour more, or if it's one commitment more, I'm going to say yes to that, and then I'm going to reorganize the things that can get in the way of that yes. But I'm going to say yes to the things that require me to lean into the promised presence of God. Show me a person who's willing to take big chances. I'll show you a person who knows how big God is. Press into that and discern your why. Now, there are resources for all of this. Beloved, discipline isn't about perfection, but about purposefulness. So purposefully stretch yourself just enough to feel it. And once you adapt as the Spirit grows you, then stretch further. And it's challenging, but it's critical. And it's what a disciplined life of discipleship requires. Because you need to remember, you were literally remade for this. Jason, you want to come up? Praise team, you want to come up? You have been literally remade for this. God has remade you, filled you with the Spirit. You are capable. You are able because God is able. What will we choose? As a pastor, I have heard for years people lament that they aren't where they want to be or the things that they carry in life just seem too heavy. And sometimes, not all the time, sometimes this is because of a lack of a disciplined faith. Sometimes it just is. Choose differently. Because what God has called you to, God will see you through. Because God will never, ever abandon you. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.